0: You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell and I'm about to be Captain Obvious. Digital change is everywhere. It almost feels a bit silly to say it, but the amazing thing is that a lot of organisations, a lot of leaders, a lot of small business owners are simply failing to keep up. As much as a statement of the obvious that it might be, that digital change is everywhere, there are so many amongst us who are simply failing to keep up. What is your digital strategy? But worry not. As ever, here on the Team Guru podcast, we've tracked down an expert in the field to simplify the complex and set us straight on the things that matter. Anthony Stevens is my guest. He's a former partner in KPMG, very impressive, and he's now the founder and CEO of Digital Asset Ventures. In the conversation you're about to hear, Anthony puts this whole digital thing in perspective for us. He talks us through the four revolutions and he paints a really clear picture as to why this one is so important for us. He tells us about the difference between pre-digital leaders and digital incumbents, and importantly, he talks us through the three digital enablers. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Anthony Stevens. Anthony Stevens, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thanks, David. Chasing digital, what a topic that you can't really go wrong with this as a topic in 2018, 2019, can you, Anthony? There is no one right now in the business world who can ignore digital. You, are, you have set yourself up with a, a good chatty topic, haven't you? Yeah, for
1: sure. I think everyone's chasing or planning to chase or in some form of chase at the moment, that's for sure.
0: We'll get to why you called your book Chasing Digital really soon, but I want to set it up for the reader in the same way you set it up really nicely in your book about the era that we're in right now. Being put in context with the other industrial revolutions and and revolutions that have taken place, it's becoming commonly referred to as the fourth revolution that we're in right now. Can you help us understand where that fits what it's all about, and how it fits with the first three revolutions that humankind has been through. Yeah, sure. So
1: the first industrial revolution was about steam, and I guess everyone's familiar with what, broadly speaking, what steam did in terms of the way that we work and live, but fundamentally allowed people to shift from rural context, operating in farms, to starting to produce things en masse, with some degree of automation. And steam was what sort of allowed transport to work more effectively and allow factories to start to get off the ground. And then we saw at the turn of the 19th century, the second industrial revolution kick in, which was about electricity. And there were a few major inventions or advancements in technology at that point, namely with the light bulb, and things like the telephone. And this was sort of just entering into around about World War One. So companies' ability to produce more effectively for less really ratcheted up another, lo- another level. And the impact was started to become more so this idea of displacing jobs in favour of machines. At least mm. some of those concepts started to kind of drift into the way that people saw things. And that that sort of bubbled along for some time and there was some early disruptive events that took place there, you know, the car, the automobile, Henry Ford, you know, shifting on. And towards the end of the 1960s, we started to see the shift from the third industrial revolution, sorry, the second industrial revolution to the third. And the third was characterized by majorly two advancements in technology. The first was the microprocessor, which led to the PC as we know it today. And the second was the internet, and fundamentally the internet provided us with the ability to share information globally between people and businesses. So it was this great sharing mechanism of information and the microprocessor allowed us to automate things even more than we'd had previously with steam and electricity. And so I think for everyone, we've seen the effects of that, particularly over the last decade, where the companies that are the most successful by market capitalization in the world have shifted from traditional businesses in oil and gas or telecommunications to, you know, the likes of Netflix and Amazon and Mm. those that are born digital.
0: Born digital. Born born digital. digital. I love that phrase. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So these are companies that have sort of got the concept of digital, we can talk about that, but The concept of digital in their DNA were founded with those principles, right? Yeah. So we're now now shifting, and and many talk about the fact that we're shifting or we have shifted, but at least it's in the last few years, shifted from the third industrial revolution to the fourth. And the fourth is characterised by an exploit or a further extension of the third, but predominantly whereby, as Charles Schwab, who's the chairman of the World Economic Forum, talks about as being... The embedding of technology in the physical domain, biological domain and the digital domain impacting all areas of society and the way that we live, so this is where sort of technology is just very 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 pervasive in our lives, and I think we're starting to see that and of course you <laughs> know, starting
0: to <laughs> starting to see
1: yeah it's i mean it's 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 really meaning that businesses don't look at technology as just an input, they look at it as something that's um fundamentally fundamentally core to the way that they operate
0: you say that we're starting to really see that and and I laughed but you're right it you know compared to what you and I will see in our lifetime compared to what our children will see in their lifetime we really are just starting to see it and people who listen to this podcast regularly will have heard me wax lyrical about how excited I am about all things future and everything that brings us I love the idea of what might come and the way our lives might shape. It's all so very exciting. But even in just what you talked about there, that's fascinating. Going through the four revolutions, I just happened to be reading Thomas Keneally's Australians. Have you ever read that?
1: No, no, I know about it, but no, I haven't read it.
0: It's fabulous. I'm reading it right now. It's quite the tome of a book. I'm reading it on a Kindle where you never really appreciate the size of something until you'd notice that you read for a few nights and not many percentage points have ticked by. But it's a fabulous book, and and of course those first two revolutions, the steam and the electric revolution, is what fueled the incredible supply of convicts to Australia and and many other things around the world. The the impact it had was very broad, but it just leads me to think. You know, we talk about what we're experiencing, and we always have that bias that the thing that we're experiencing right now is the biggest, the best, the greatest, the greatest. All of those things. Those revolutions were pretty powerful as well. If you were around in a in a time where steam engines started to be used, or even more so, if you were around in the time where all of a sudden people went from candlelight and fires to electricity in their houses, to the point where very quickly in developed countries, electricity poles were, were installed and, and wrapped around suburbs, that's a pretty big revolution as well. Do you think do you ever think that we get carried away with the importance of the revolution that we happen to be living in?
1: Yeah, I I mean, many talk about there was huge displacement of jobs, of entire economies, of markets during those periods. Mm. But at the same time, new ones were created, right? I mean, yeah. even just the as they talked about, you know, in the in the second industrial revolution with the automobile you know, you all of a sudden had things that were the brand new industry sprung up, you know, oil and gas and, and parts and service and distribution and all these things that were required that I guess to some extent you had with horses and carts, but you had at a whole different level with automobiles. So I think there's just a big shift. There's a big shift in the value chain. There's a big shift in the way that people make money. And really importantly, there's a shift in where the strategic control is. And I think that's the bit that for businesses, at least, you know, we can break this down at two levels. One is look at, you know, how it impacts us as individuals, but another level is how it impacts businesses. Businesses are impacted because the industry that they're operating in, where they used to make money or the way in which they used to make money and extract profit shifts to a different spot, right? So we, you know, we see that with, you know, in recent times with the likes of Uber, you know, they don't make money out of owning vehicles anymore. They make money out of facilitating, you know, rides for, you know, you and I as consumers jumping in a jumping in a car. And so as a result, the profits that were extracted by owning number plates and owning, you know, yellow taxis driving around the streets have, have sort of disappeared, dried up because of being the industry itself has changed. So I think, I mean, we went around with a, obviously with a Electricity and steam, uh, first and second industrial revolutions. But no doubt there's parallels back in those days that we could draw upon.
0: So the first was the steam. The second was electric. The third revolution around the 1960s was the was the development of the microprocessor, which of course led to the PC, which very quickly led to the internet. And, and we know where that went. The fourth revolution that you talk of now is an extension of the third. It's embedding technology into our physical, our biological and our digital world. To ask the most ridiculously obvious question in the world, Anthony, why is this so important? Why is the leap from the third to the fourth revolution so important for all of us as individuals and employees and professionals and business owners?
1: So there's a few characteristics about the fourth industrial revolution that I think are going to be particularly interesting. One is that The the use of data is going to be considered by many as an asset, as a threat, as something fundamentally important to the way that we think about working and living. And to give you an example, I mean, we've started to see just a little bit of little, some hints of that in the last few years with, you know, Facebook and some of the issues that have arisen around privacy and where, where and how our data gets used. But I think we're going to see it even more so... When we start thinking about, well, well the, the fact is the criticality of data in driving the efficacy of artificial intelligence is going to mean that that itself, data itself, is such a strategic thing for businesses that I think, you know, wars could be created or major industries will, will live or die off the back of the control or somehow, somehow being involved in that domain
0: and we see very things that are very close to that now. We hear not just Facebook and companies trying to take our data, which I'll have a question about in a minute, but we hear about it at a government level. And there are certain countries around the world that other certain countries around the world are often blaming for for hacks and, and cyber terrorism and, and things that we see on the news quite regularly. So I'm guessing part of your prediction is that because that is so important those conversations and those wars will just increase in intensity and and frequency.
1: Yeah, that's it. I think they will increase in intensity and I think they're going to give rise to entirely new vocations, jobs, types of leaders and issues related to things like governance and particularly around ethics. You know, what should data be used for? How does one control, artificial intelligence? At what point is a computer doing too much or too little? Where does the human need to kick in? Those sorts of things, I think, we don't even understand how to deal with those challenges yet. But the technology is well and truly there to give rise to those problems in the first instance.
0: Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. So, Anthony, I am a keen observer. I'm a, an enthusiast about the future, but I've got to admit I'm a bit naive when it comes to all of this data warfare. When I hear about companies wanting to get to my data via Facebook, I get that, okay, at the pointy end, they want my credit card number. Sure, I can understand how that would be useful to someone. I can also work out why they would want to know what I'm Googling, because that's what I'm interested in buying, and, and they might want to advertise. And we've all had that experience where you Google something, or even scarier, you type an email to a friend about something that you're going to do, and then an associated commercial pops up next time you're on Facebook, which is really freaky, but- Obviously it's it's an, you know that's a no-brainer marketing wise. But beyond that kind of superficial level marketing and that that straight out theft of my credit card, for a dullard like me, help me explain why data is just so important.
1: Yeah, so the thing about data is that the return that you can derive through the use of data it follows a particular framework, and that is that if you think about data that relates to something that's happened in the past, it has some value to you in just being able to catalog what's happened and derive some understanding from that at a human level. So it's somewhat valuable. If you think about the data that's, that's gathered at a point in time, in real time, for example, if you're on the phone with a, a support center or undertaking a transaction, that's useful because it allows someone to make a change that will affect what's going on at that point of time. But the most valuable data relates to things that are likely to happen in the future. And that's what all of this sort of artificial intelligence stuff is about is drawing correlations between data ultimately and mashing that up with huge amounts of other data to work out what's likely to happen. What are you likely to buy in a week's time where are you likely to go in a week's time what machine is likely to break down in a week's time and why and if we can solve those problems preventatively that's where we can extract the most value so ultimately that's what you know that's what the sort of race around data is for is because people are intrigued continuously about the future i mean that's what we're talking about here on this podcast is mm. what's going to happen right i mean it's yeah. the thing that stimulates Every one of our minds is, what does the future hold? And there's some mystique around that. So if we can wrap some science around it, and that's where data comes in, that's kind of
0: cool. I love the concept that you talked about earlier about that born digital. Companies that, that haven't pivoted, they haven't added on a bit of digital understanding to their business. Their business was derived in a time of this fourth revolution. Companies like Uber and Netflix and Airbnb are the headline companies that do that. And then there are the other companies that you call the chasers, long-established, often large organizations. They're pre-digital. They are chasing the digital world. Do they ever seek to compete with those who are born data? Or is it, are they companies who are in a different niche? They're operating in a different industry, but they just need to chase digital so that they can keep their head above water and remain relevant in 2019? Yeah.
1: So so that yeah. There's the born digital folk, and there's the pre what what I refer to in the book as the pre digital incumbent. You know, as you said, the business that's already in play, but uh, you know, came from a different different point some years back. And I think the the thing that's taking place right now is either those businesses have to become software businesses in some way, or will be disrupted by one. So to sort of answer your question, I think they are competing in many instances head on with those that are born digital. The advantage they have, which sort of sounds ominous, it sort of sounds like how could they possibly compete, right? The thing, though, is that they have some fantastic characteristics that they can leverage that the people that are born digital don't. And this is the sort of positive side of the whole thing, and that is that they've got distribution channels they know how to reach their customer effectively and they've got a brand that's trusted with typically trusted with their customer base they also yeah. understand the industry intimately that they're in which allows them to come from a point of some point of advantage in saying if the industry is going to change at least we understand where it is today right now that's a double edged sword because as you know understanding too much about where you are today doesn't perhaps allow you to be as creative as you might want to be in the sense of looking forward. But nevertheless, they still do have brands, they've got distribution channels, and, and also they've got people. They've got people that are talented, that are well-educated, that have been very effective at what they've done. And this is a key theme in our book, is to say there is great hope for those businesses. There is a huge amount of opportunity. All they need to do is essentially refactor some of the ways that they think about business into their business model, and create that opportunity for change in, in you know doing certain things.
0: When I hear you talk that way, it reminds me of an old hobby horse I have from the podcast that, again, people would have heard me talk about before, the taxi industry. and It's almost cliche, but you as a digital consultant must have sat and shaken your head as you watched the taxi industry let Uber steamroll over top of them. They had brand recognition. They had loyal customers. They are physically recognizable on the streets, taxis, yet they sat asleep at the wheel, for yeah. want of a, a yeah. funnier term. And at best, when they did start doing something about it, did they do anything proactive and and lift up, pull their socks up and tidy their own business model? No. They spent money lobbying backward thinking politicians to keep Uber out of the country. They didn't look at their own backyard. They just tried to stop the tide. They yeah. had it all, and they just let it fall away. And if they didn't see this coming, if they didn't see digital disruption coming in their really obviously disruptible industry, then I got to say, and I, it sounds awful, but they they got what they deserved.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it it you you raise a good point because of what of what what these well what the taxi industry did was, as you said, they relied on the existing protections in place for the industry, the the regulation. But what they also did is focused or they tried to innovate, and I'm sure within the boardrooms of those companies, they were thinking that they should be innovating and no doubt they plan to innovate. The challenge is the nature of the innovation that they undertook was very different and is characterised. There's three types of innovation broadly. One is focusing on on efficiency, i.e. cutting costs. The other one is taking an existing product or service and making it better. And the third one is taking... Creating an entirely new market. Now, Uber created an entirely new market. They shifted the ball, you know, sort of focused on this idea that it's all about the consumer's experience and using your mobile phone, and that that device created a trigger. Whereas the, the incumbent players, I think, they just tried to make their existing business model slightly better, right? And so ultimately, just although it was innovative, it just wasn't ultimately the, ultimately enough. They weren't playing the same game.
0: You said something earlier that, that made me a bit nervous for some organizations when when we were talking about chasers or, or pre-digital incumbents competing with born digital, you said something along the lines of every company will have to ultimately become a software company. What did you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so I um, mean to compete effectively in the future, there has to be a shift to seeing data as being a core strategic asset. Some people describe it as, or use this analogy, that data is the new oil, right? It, what, it, it's what, you know, we saw no doubt 50 years ago as, as oil and gas industries exploded. You know, that was the asset. If you could somehow tie your business model to oil, you were gonna be okay. And the reason why data is so critical is it is the fuel that drives software. And particularly with artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence is like a a very thirsty car it's like a v8 or a v12 it sucks up lots of juice and the juice is data in order to be effective so all of that I characterize broadly as the outcome is a software proposition right something that pulls together data some intelligence some experience for a user etc now for some businesses they'll use hardware you know some physical device of some description but it's very unusual for hardware not to have a huge element of software in it, right? You can have software by itself, but it's it's unlikely that you would have hardware by itself.
0: Look, wow. Okay, so you, Anthony, have these three digital enablers that you describe in your book that yep. will help us get our head around this. I'll get you to talk through those, but at the same time, or maybe separately, depending on the best way to answer this, because I don't even know where to begin. Hmm. I just want you to help me understand because my tiny little brain can't can't imagine some of the existing industries that are not digital born, that industries that have existed for generations that go along doing stuff that we all recognize that will, from time to time and at varying degrees of success, tack on digital bits to their business, ways of engaging with their clients, letting people order online, communicate online that always just seem like add-ons to their their existing business. How do those types of organizations actually do the the whole sort of turning from a caterpillar into a butterfly through this digital age and become that software company that you talk about? So maybe if you give us an example of what that looks like for a company that was just nothing like a software company but will eventually run their business that way, that will help my pea brain begin to understand this.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, so we'll start, I mean, if we just take an example of, let's say, a uh, your local suit shop, you know, selling yeah. suits and, and uh, you know, ties and shirts and perhaps shoes and that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. In the, you know, a very normal business, they could be huge, they could be department stores, or they could just be somewhere in a local shopping strip. Those businesses can increment their business by saying, well, let's now start automating our supply chain let's you know, buy more efficiently downstream and you know cut costs and get the whole process streamlined so when someone buys a shirt or 20 shirts get sold we now buy you know x inputs that are going to help produce shirts more efficiently the other thing they could do is incrementally start selling shirts online right but all of those efforts are largely just sustaining innovations or efficiency-based innovations. They're taking yeah. an existing product, the shirt or the suit, and making it slightly easy to buy or more effective in terms of its cost base. Yeah. The big shift, though, would be to sit back and think about strategically what would the entire experience look like that would be different for a consumer? And some of these businesses in, the, in that industry are propping up now where you you take your mobile phone you take a picture of yourself in the mirror the mobile phone picture goes back to some computer system somewhere it scans your body it understands your height your weight your width of your chest etc and dynamically creates a perfectly fitted suit for you know that you can order online automatically say here you go david now you just need to select the color of your shirt now You can appreciate the minute a consumer experiences that, the likelihood of them going back to the local store and picking medium, large, extra large off the shelf is going to be pretty low, right?
0: So that's creating a new market.
1: You're creating a whole new market. And you're actually moving the game not to one of, you know, what's the quality of the shirt, what size have you got, whatever, but how effective essentially the experience is right? Do they get it right first time when they take the photo in the mirror? Is that a really streamlined experience or is that something that is painful and doesn't work and the suit doesn't fit you, et cetera? So I think there that... Now, the question is then, how do the people that are running that business, you know, think about that stuff? And it goes to the other part of your question, like what technology they use and how they go about it. And ultimately, this is one of some strategic thinking, but also setting up their company effectively. So they say, let's keep the existing business running and we'll make these increments, trying to make things more efficient and a sticky relationship with customers. But let's create another separate little organization off to the side that sort of step backs and looks at the whole process of buying a suit in the first place. Yeah. And the industry. So yeah, there's lots more to it, but.
0: That is a great example. Yeah. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. All right, now, before we wrap it up, I want to talk about your three digital enablers because this is a complex thing. It seems overwhelming to many organizations and just your suit example there explains why so many people, even though it's slapping them in the face, just can't do what's required in terms of innovation because it takes a certain level of genius to come up with that. So mm-hmm. we, I, I get why some organizations, although they would love to, they would love to be that new thing that does things differently. Not everyone can think of those ideas. So I, I get that. But you've tried to help your readers and you try and help your clients by categorizing it into three digital Enablers, the first of which is data and we've talked a bit extensive a bit about that. You might I don't know if there's anything else you want to recap there, but there are two others. So can you tell us a little bit about those three digital enablers and how they help shape the thinking of those wanting to stay ahead?
1: Yeah, sure. And let me let me just frame it by saying the reason why we came up with these three digital enablers was what I've seen in business the last 20 years when it comes to the topic of technology, is that people get trapped thinking about specific vendors right microsoft or google or xyz vendor and what we looked at was what are the fundamental, what are the underlying themes associated with those technologies that are going to make a difference to the pre-digital incumbent shifting from where they are today to a better spot and so as you said this data we've, we've talked about that the second one is this idea of platforms and platforms allow basically the connectivity of lots of suppliers and lots of customers and ultimately the ability for a business to create a flywheel effect such that the more stuff that's available to be purchased, be it goods or services, products or services, the more customers are attracted, the more customers are attracted, the more people are inclined to start selling more things. And it allows you to sort of build this ecosystem. Now, the interesting thing about these platforms, and the the obvious one to refer to is Amazon, is that they typically get so big and so dominant, and their economics are so attractive, that there there aren't too many that exist in any one industry. They become almost monopolistic. Yes. Right. Yes. It, you can imagine now if you and I, it's almost inconceivable to compete with Amazon scale and it is yeah. today. Even if we you'd be, had a billion dollars, right? You'd be crazy yeah. to try. So the question a business needs to ask in relation to platforms is one, understand what they are. And fundamentally, they're about shifting your focus from the supply side of your business, i.e. focus on inputs, to the interaction or the relationship, the digital relationship with you've got with your customers.
0: I love that word ecosystem because you helped me understand in the book when you were talking about not a website a platform and that that helps again with our tiny little minds we think all right I'm being a really good digital digital citizen here I'm setting up a website so my customers can buy stuff from me one on one you're talking about an ecosystem it's it's counterintuitive for someone trying to survive in the business world to almost invite your competitors into yeah. this ecosystem into this landscape and just watch 360 degrees of interaction take place and that, as you say, it just creates the market.
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, once, once Amazon got to a certain scale, I mean, we all know their story broadly speaking. They started selling books. They were theirs. They warehoused them. They sold them online. But they got to a certain point where they got so many customers that now their economics are so favorable in not selling their own stuff. They're actually better to sell someone else's stuff on, yeah. via their channel. And their job is almost just creating this fabric that ties it all together yeah. um, and automates it. So the big question for businesses is look at your industry, identify the platform that exists, work out how to either play with it, or if you think you've got enough scale and enough sort of critical mass in what you do either supply side or demand side, then you might it might make sense to build your own platform. But that's a, that's a very strategic decision. I mean, as we talked about in retail, online retail, Amazon's pretty dominant. Yeah. You know, and now they've set up a shop obviously in Australia. So the remaining barrier that they had, which was fulfillment, they've now overcome because their warehouses are all based now here. You don't have to ship stuff from the US.
0: It'll be interesting to see where that goes. As, as you mentioned, it's almost inconceivable that anyone would try and compete with Amazon. I know they do from time to time. Yeah. It, maybe Uber's not quite there because there are still organizations trying to compete with Uber. In my hometown of Brisbane, there are Uber drivers getting around with, I think it's Ola stickers on their car. Yeah. They drive for both. As, you, know, you can see the attraction. Someone sees the success of Uber and they think, if we could just get a piece of that pie, just a little piece of that pie, but at what point does does something like Uber and Amazon just become um, a, a so big that it's not worth competing with? And these are things we haven't experienced before because these are brand new types of industries and brand new ways of operating. So it'll just be interesting to observe that. All right. So you've talked about the three enablers where the first was data, then platforms. And I love that concept. That was a real eye-opener for me. That's really thinking big. If you think you're thinking big as a suit and shirt shop by getting a website and allowing your customers to buy online... That's just that's small fry. Thinking big is creating a platform for everyone to come and play, and for mm. you to be the person who almost develops that world. Data platforms, what's the third, Anthony?
1: The third is what we refer to as a system of intelligence, and that's a sort of a little bit of a, it's, a, it's an abstract concept, but we've actually already touched on it, and the idea is that the example that we gave before around the suit shop. The mobile app that allows you to take a photo of yourself standing in front of the mirror, that then wow. takes that image, breaks it down into data, gives you an experience as a consumer that's easy to say, David, click here, go there. Now you can choose your shirt fabric. Now you can choose this, you know, the type of buttons you want, etc. And artific- using artificial intelligence, then makes a recommendation on the best fitting cut of shirt that makes sense for you now that is a great example of a system of intelligence because it takes a problem so there's a number of ingredients, it takes a business problem, it takes data, it takes a great user experience for the person engaging with the software and ultimately combines that with some artificial intelligence to give it this predictive or magical effect right?
0: It it is magical, I love the idea of that
1: yeah, that's it
0: and it really does reduce some friction for me. I mean, you you probably do the same thing as I do, Anthony. You get a batch of shirts, you're happy with them. And over the years, they start to look tatty and fade and you want to sharpen them up. And you've got to go for that horrible march to the shops and try on all these different shirts that just don't quite fit. And this one's a bit long in the arms. And everyone experiences that. If there is something I can take a photo of myself and all I do is pick the color and this perfectly fitting shirt turns up at my house, sign me up. I'm there. Yeah. What other? I mean, you've blown me. That's that's a wonderful example of a system of intelligence that's just so fabulous. Hmm. What others are there that you've experienced or you've been part of, or, or you, you, you've read about in some way that are just clever like that? That are coming our way in a, a realm of our world that we touch often. Yeah,
1: I mean, there's the autonomous car. I mean, that's a that's a very big example of a a combination of an experience, something that a user interacts with, i.e. the driver or what left the driver does in that context, you know, navigates, I guess. There's a lot of data. There's a lot of artificial intelligence to prevent things from happening, crash and so on. So that's an example when we talked about, if we just tie it back to the start of this discussion, we talked about the fourth industrial revolution. That's where we've got a system of intelligence that's really impacting us in the physical domain, not something that's, you know, just abstract in the digital domain. And we're starting to see other examples of that in the biological domain where we're getting, you know, fabrics or or devices that are tied to our body that help us maintain our health or help us become fit or all this kind of stuff that's the combination of those elements, data, usability, artificial intelligence, and a great problem to solve.
0: So, Anthony, my last question when you take off your consultant hat, your industry expert hat, and you just think about where this is all headed for you, Anthony Stevens, human being, what excites you? What are you most looking forward to as a consumer, a person, or whatever it is?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think the the new market element of what's happening in what what will happen and is already happening over the next few years is is really exciting like just our ability to have different experiences and have our attention go to something new that might make relationships with others different or might work so make the way that we work or live different i mean already at the moment we're seeing the way that we work or incentives within companies changing quite fundamentally. I think that's something I've been fascinated with and still think about as being a major change that I I feel will take place is the way that people are incentivized to do what they do. You know, we've got, we've had this thing that's been kicking around for a long time, which is a, which is a salary. And, you know, you come to work and you get paid X thousand dollars a year and you might get a bonus. But I, I think that that mechanism itself in companies is going to change and people are going to expect to be measured in different ways and incentivized in different ways that are more real rather than just the end of the year ad hoc appraisal or you know some, some somewhat abstract allocation of profit to you as an individual so yeah i'm i'm excited about seeing that change because i think there's a lot of disruption that will inevitably take place in that space
0: wow that is a great big heady topic that you've just brought up right there. Mm. Anthony (laughs) Stevens, I, I really have enjoyed our chat. It's been great to have you on the show.
1: Thanks very much, David. It's been great.
0: And that was Anthony Stevens. He's calm and measured, and he knows his stuff. I really enjoyed our chat. And how about those three digital enablers? data platforms and systems of intelligence the one that really got me was digital platforms we all know we've got to be doing business online in some form or another but the idea of creating a marketplace where everyone can get together your apparent competitors included it's powerful and it really takes it to the next level As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Anthony on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.